Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost, and welcome in to episode 76 of the In The Shift podcast. And we've got another good conversation, I think, for you today, although it gets pretty intense at times. Uh, joining me on the podcast today is my good friend Shane Meyer-Holt, uh, co-conspirator last year, as we talked about a lot of megachurch stuff. And, and today we decided to not so specifically talk about the megachurch, but to talk about um, coercive uh, leadership models and systems, which has been a feature of, of the last year's, year's worth of conversations. But to do so in a very particular kind of way, we've taken um, the feedback over the last year to, to heart, I suppose, in the ways in which people have been a bit confused or bemused about how, especially those who are outside of these kinds of systems, uh, all sorts of abusive environments, whether they're actually church, religious systems, or, or other types of abusive or controlling environments. Um, the sort of the, the bemused sense of how can people stay in these systems, how can seemingly smart people still be there. And we've talked about that from a number of different angles, I think, over the last while. But in this conversation, we took, um, <laughs> Shane rummaged around and found an old notebook of his with some sermon notes in it from a sermon he heard many years ago uh, by a pastor out of the US by the name of Rick Godwin, who had a sermon called Sons and Servants. And it's a sermon I was also very familiar with, but then Shane shared his sermon notes with me because we heard it a lot in the environment that I was in at life. And, uh, and, so what we just thought we might do is, is kind of as an example of how indoctrination into a system can kind of work. How you can take people on a journey from just seemingly being a good person with good intentions who's wanting to do something great or cool or interesting for, for God or because of their faith or in their church and turn them into people who are very, um, who, who have lost sense of self and identity and boundaries and whose own kind of personhood has been uh, disintegrated by the actions of, of leadership to the point where they participate in an ongoing way in coercive and abusive systems and find it incredibly hard to leave. So we decided we'd do that with this with the set of sermon notes that Shane found in his notebook. And I guess I just want to say that in many respects, we didn't anticipate our conversation here getting quite as dark as it did by the end. But I think we both realized sort of as we were talking how this set, this kind of talk itself, this sons and servants talk, uh, that we kind of use as a test case for thinking about religious indoctrination into coercive leadership and environments, how in itself it's kind of like a microcosm of the journey. Like it starts in this very kind of relatable place of don't we all want to do something for God and ends in a place of deep, control within coercive leadership and ending pretty cult-like in the space of one talk. And in a sense, sort of realized by the time we got to this end of, the, end of this conversation that, that, that this one talk was, was a great microcosm of what people's experience can be like over a number of years of starting in this place of, I just want to participate here and do something good. And over time, it becoming increasingly kind of dark and controlling and traumatic. I'm aware that as we talk about um, this kind of level of control and coercion that people experience within church systems that um, it might be triggering for people. It might be really hard to hear um, or to listen to. Uh, it might bring up stuff for you in your own experience, your own history that's, that's difficult to process. Because 
there's this kind of weird, and even again within our conversation here, we go from sort of jovial, sort of absurdity to dark cult-like leadership over the course of however long this conversation is. And um, that in itself is like an example of how confusing all this stuff can be for people because it's it's this combination of like, wow, that's kind of crazy mixed with, wow, that was deeply painful and, and harmful in the long term of my life. So um, just want to kind of acknowledge that up front as you listen to this. Thanks to the... Um, so before we get into that, let me say a couple other things. Thanks to the many, many, many people who've reached out since the last episode where I talked about my own kind of experience of, of, of seeing the stories from life hit the, hit the news in the way that they did through David Ferrier's work. And just again to hear from so many people who've had such deeply difficult experiences but for, for whatever reason found some solidarity in, in my words or some sense of someone understanding or giving language to the complexity of the feelings, the experiences, the relationships that they might have in their life. Um, I think that's probably all I want to say for now. So um, buckle in for a ride through Shane's sermon notebook from the 90s as an example of what religious indoctrination looks like and how we can end up with seemingly good people uh, immersed and stuck within incredibly harmful systems. This is episode 76 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. Hello, Shane. Hello. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. It's been like, a while like, since we've done one of these. It is. I, I, I like that people might think this is the only time we talk and we haven't actually touched base since then. No, we have talked to each other since uh, since we've, since we've our public last public outing. We haven't had a breakup. It's okay. No, that's right. We still love each other. Do we? Uh, how, how's your um, uh, summer been? Um, more summery than yours, I imagine, because I live in Australia where it's really hot <laughs> often. And, no uh, floods, cyclones, been, tornadoes? There have been all of those things, but uh, because it's so large, we spread them out a bit and uh, oh, okay. we haven't had so many of those. Good. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. Which I should sound less smug about, but I can't muster. <laughs> hey, so we're going to have a, uh, a conversation today about a couple of specific things. But before we do... What's your general sense of sort of, uh, you know, I, I recorded an episode or I released an episode a couple of weeks ago as, as the first one for the year, reflecting on my uh, own journey with this conversation over the last 12 months or so in particular and then, and then in particular, I guess, even more particularly recently. Uh, but I, I acknowledge then that, that it's been an intense time an intense series of conversations. How has that been for you, having a bit of a break from this and reflecting back on it? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been nice to have <laughs> have the space for other life crises to um, emerge and insert themselves in my world, so that's been good. Uh, it's <laughs> definitely helped to kind of manage life a bit. Uh, yeah, having, having a bit of a break. I mean, look, I'm in Australia and the story over here is rolling on in its own unique way um, and is making headlines and, uh, you know, potentially yes. changes coming in various areas. So that's, you know, that's, a, that's another whole... <laughs> That's another whole talk. Um, so yeah, it hasn't really gone away in any sense. But uh, yeah, even just kind of having a having a break from 
talking about it incessantly on the pod has been uh, has been lovely in lots of ways because you know um, you can you can focus focus on kinder things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want our it's yeah our whole lives are not simply just talking about this stuff. Um, well, that's the strange thing because for both of us, even though we, you know, we've talked about it over the years, um, neither of us live in this particular world. If we're talking about the the mega space or even the Pentecostal space, largely anymore, so it very much was like diving back into it. Um, yeah, yeah, which is a very disorientating experience. And then, uh, yeah, getting to get your head above water has been been quite lovely in lots of mm. ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, lots of stories over your side of the ditch. Um, Indeed. Uh, Lots about money. A lot of stories about money. At yeah, the moment on in your part of the world and the usage of money. A lot of stories about money. About money. Uh, not enough stories about coercive leadership for my taste. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. we're we're working on it. Don't don't worry. We're working on it. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think anyone anyone who's uh, hangs out too closely to me at the moment will know that my <laughs> my sense is that um is that one church in particular is taking a lot of spotlight in media, which while um. You know that's really healthy for things to come to light. Um, there's definitely a sense in which plenty of other people are getting away with very, very terrible practice, knowing that um, you know they're probably going to get away with it because their media's attention somewhere else. So, I would, I would really, really like, um, yeah, a little more awareness around the fact that there, this, this, these practices are in play at a lot of places, um, and a lot of people still aren't free to actually acknowledge them or talk about them. Yeah, the lesson doesn't seem to be, wow, look at this church or these couple of churches getting pulled up on a bunch of this stuff. Everybody has a point. Uh, we better, yep. we should really review and change. It seems to be, oh, yep. good. We, no one's paying attention in our direction. <laughs> Quick, carry on. Yeah, which Let's is, keep lashing, lashing the volunteers. Yeah, yeah, yep. which is, is, is sad, actually. And I think, yeah. you know, this, this year... Um, Perhaps the conversation broadens a little bit. It's, it's to keep tackling some of the stuff we've been talking about, but also just to broaden more more broadly to coercive leadership or to to toxic spaces, but also to constructive stuff and and what health mm. looks and flourishing looks like for us as human beings in the world. Mm. Um, because what we're seeing, and, and even as you reflect on all of the different spaces, this kind of stuff happens, and it's something that came up a lot last year. Was that this is not just mega churches either? So even the even the, the a lot of smaller, very toxic mm. places um, that can look at even if all the mega churches were to suddenly be in the spotlight, would be like, oh, at mm. least we're not a mega mm. church. Whilst mm. sort of really doing many of the same things, even if they can't be done in quite the same way. Like it's it's harder if you're a small town pastor of a toxic church. It's harder to get on the international circuit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> with your toxicity, but it yep. doesn't mean you can't be toxic, nevertheless. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things that has come up repeatedly is both, I think, in different ways from outsiders and insiders. So from like outsiders, the constant kind of bafflement or bemused or outraged sense that how can these people have all been a part of these systems and why aren't they all just leaving en masse as soon mm. as any of these stories come out? Mm. Uh, and so to outsiders, it's kind of baffling in many respects. And I think even to people who have been processing their own journey, sometimes you're baffled about your own loyalty, mm. right? Yep. Like, why am yep. I still here? What am I, or <laughs> why can't I leave? Or why did it take me mm. so long? Or mm. so, so the, and we've tackled that from a number of different perspectives over the last 12 months, I think, and attacked it from a number of different angles. Um, but, but there is a, I guess, a, 
a way, there are all sorts of ways of conditioning people mm. to a system, mm. or we might even say indoctrinating people to a system. And, and I'm not talking here about the more classic kind of, I don't know, any environment has a set of assumptions that sit, you know, any cultural environment, religious environment, uh, family environment has to operate on a set of kind of assumptions yep. or beliefs or whatever that sit under the yep. surface. And um, hopefully there's, there's a healthy environment where those can be tested and challenged and questioned at times. But they're always going to be there. So when I say indoctrination, I don't mean any talking about religious belief at all, mm-hmm. um, mm. you know. But I do think there is a there is a specific kind of thing that happens within any kind of coercive or abusive space that um, conditions the masses mm. to comply yep. and makes it incredibly muddled and, and, confuse, and confusing to try and extract yourself, right? And mm. Mm. Um, so today what we want to do is... Um, take like do it almost like a case study. We're going to do a case study on on religious indoctrination. <laughs> does, that, does that sound good? <laughs> Sounds great. Oh man, so glad I turned up for this. Oh yeah, and the case study is going to be Shane, <laughs> <laughs> as both indoctrinated and indoctrinator. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so you sent me a, 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 a series of images of some notes from your little notebook. Yes, I did. Uh, I did from a from a talk. You that sent you... me a you sent me a series of images. Never ends well. Oh no, sorry. Yes, they weren't <laughs> um, lewd. <laughs> they uh, were of your very earnest sermon notes from many many years ago. Indeed. Uh, so this case study is somewhat dated, but uh, it's. I just thought this was a great example of how this kind of thing happened. How you, how you can be conditioned in a system to essentially <clears throat> shut up, submit, and. Mm and then participate in toxicity. Mm. Um, so why don't you tell me about your little notebook? <laughs> My little notebook, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just going to start by kind of like locating a, a particular time and place with this little notebook in that this little notebook in some ways was from a time when the community I was a part of was turning. It was transitioning from one phase into another. Um, and I say that because it's kind of, in, lo- in lots of ways, um, I hate talking about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> a, because, you know, obviously there's residual trauma and things to work through. There's um, all kinds of guilt for my participation um, in things. There's all kinds of stuff that, you know, I've spent years <laughs> working through that this raises again for me. Um, but also at the same time, because I love I love talking about healthy community, healthy spiritualities. I am really excited about this year that kind of hopefully when some <laughs> stuff dies down a little bit, we can start talking more and more about like um, what healthy community looks like, what he- mm. healthy pastoral leadership looks like, what healthy, you know, spiritualities and frameworks and views of God and all these things, which can, for those who um, still want to participate in those spaces, can be yeah, just unbelievably life-giving. Like so often, you know, to my surprise after all of this, one of the things that kind of anchors my life and is regularly one of the most centering and kind places in my life is actually a religious community, which, you mm. know, if you told me that 10 years ago, I would struggle to have believed you. So, yeah, 
I guess I just kind of wanted to note that because in some ways when this particular teaching from this particular notebook was coming into place in our community at the time, it was actually in a transition from being what for me at the time was one of the kind of most centering aspects of my life. It was a place of belonging and it was a place of immense kindness and sure, it had its quirks um, <laughs> and <laughs> stuff like all communities do uh, and would definitely be a spirituality that I would struggle to subscribe to now in so many ways. But it was kind of the turning point um, when a level of drivenness and hardness um, came into the vocabulary of our community. And mm. so, um, yeah, like the, like this notebook for me showed up again recently because my mum visited from New Zealand and bought a bag of stuff from my childhood, which uh, right. held all of my uh, school reports from when I was a kid and I was <laughs> diagnosed with ADHD two years ago and rereading my school reports. I am very, very cross uh, that I wasn't diagnosed earlier because <laughs> it could have saved me a lot of pain mm. uh, when every school report says, you know, Shane is a pleasant child, but is easily distracted. And if he only could concentrate, he he really he really would be a great student. Mm. Uh, Ten years of that, but that's another that's another story. Why didn't you just um, concentrate, though, Shane? I know, I know, because mm. uh, I was too busy putting all of my energy into masking. Mm. Um, so you know, th with this bag of stuff came a whole heap of youth group things. Um, one of which was a DVD of Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. If you don't know what that is. Oh, so DVD, a VHS, sorry. It was uh, a long time ago. If you don't know what that is, don't look it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> save yourself the pain. If you do, I'm sorry for mentioning it. Um, who, who did you play in the performance? Oh, uh, we were we were uh, a little, evidently we were scraping the bottom of the barrel for uh, fitting all of the characters. So I, I I, played a few different ones, but um, at one stage I was a construction worker, which if you've seen a photo of me <laughs> at 21... <laughs> Still looking like a 13-year-old boy, prepubescent boy. Um, I'm not sure how compelling construction worker I was, but um, yeah, <laughs> at least I didn't have to drag anyone off to hell. Um, oh, that's good. Like, yeah, some of the other actors. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, and in this notebook, uh, as I flicked through, there were sermon notes from conferences that I went to, and one of them just like, just absolutely hit me in the face because it was again, this like other dimension that I haven't visited for such a long time. But as soon as I read the title of it, I could remember the entire thing. Mm. Um, and it, because it had been one of the most significant messages in my life at the time. And so you've got, for a bit of context, you've got a kind of a growing youth group of young and enthusiastic people who really love God and want to do something important in the world, um, going to these conferences to learn how to build the kinds of churches that um, people at school might not beat you up about and might get really excited about and come to Jesus. And so lots of them were kind of instructionals in how to grow the kinds of churches that we all hoped to be a part of. And this mm. particular one was by a guy called Rick Godwin, um, and it's called Sons and Servants. Did you ever hear this one, Michael? Well, I don't think we've talked about it in great detail before. Um, I can't believe it. Because we, the church I was in at this time, which I spoke about on the last episode, um, in the late 90s and early 2000s, if you wanted, there was sort of a pathway into getting involved at, at life, the church I was at. It wasn't mm. called life back then, but anyway. Um, and... 
you did this thing called Friends of the Vision, which was a, a course where you kind of sort of got introduced to the church. But then if You're you like really to wanted hand, to get, hold hands with the vision, but not allowed to kiss. That's right. As long as there was a space for the Holy Spirit between you and the vision. Indeed. But yeah. then the next course, if you really wanted to get more deeply involved, you had to do Partners of the Vision, which was where ah. you, you could spend the night with the vision. A um, little, and- little, little more penetration. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know about you, but we, there used to be the scale of the levels of intimacy. Did you ever oh, have yeah, this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. The, the funniest the funniest stage of which was heavy petting, which... Um, <laughs> that was a phrase that got used a lot. In I think James Dobson, for those who know James yeah. Dobson, Focus on the Family, was a big uh, big proponent, not, not proponent of, but no. a big user of the term heavy petting. He was indeed. Also, yeah. And as I've said before, also had an issue with touching um, people's hair. <laughs> on the, uh, you know, anyway, um, <laughs> very arousing apparently. Classic, so, classic, classic heavy petting. Um. Partners of the Vision was maybe a three or four, I can't even remember exactly, three or four week thing, but one of the evenings, so we would get teaching from the pastors and so on, but one of the evenings was just sitting down and watching Sons and Servants by Rick Goblin mm. and mm. watching the video oh, wow. of, of this oh, talk. Oh, there you go. So yeah, yeah when you mentioned yeah. this talk, I was like, I know this talk <laughs> because it was seen as so important mm. that everybody who need who wanted to um, get involved had in certainly in any kind of leadership or, or kind of ministry opportunities of any significance mm. beyond just sort of being a, a low-level volunteer. A play uh, It the was so park. important, yep. yes, that everybody had to sit through Sons and Servants yep. Um, yep. As, a, as kind of a rite of passage into ministry in the church. Yes. Yep. So very familiar with this talk. Uh, Excellent. And the mullet that accompanied it, which was also <laughs> tremendous. And look, Rick Goblin was an impressive figure. If Did you, you hear this in um, person? I need to check this. Like I heard this in person. Oh, right. So it I might only have ever watched a, the video several times. It might have been at one of your conferences or an, an, an adjacent one. I'm not sure. But yeah, I heard it in person. I, we traveled up to the big smoke of Auckland. Um, I think it was on. probably Hillsong, when Hillsong it used to run conferences. Hillsong, New Zealand. Hillsong Conference yeah. in New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. I believe so. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and for those who kind of wanted to be taken seriously as a leader, he was an impressive figure because mm. he was, uh, I mean, like, you know, just <laughs> just picture the patriarchy and you've got it. <laughs> Older, <laughs> white gentleman with a stern voice who, who's not afraid to tell it like it is. Mm. And um, it's funny looking back now because, like, I think that's in so many ways what I aspired to, to be one of those straight-talking, tell-it-like-it-is people. But I... In terms of like personality, I've always been incredibly impish <laughs> and a bit silly, and it just boggles my mind that I tried for so long to kind of wear that wear that jacket of being a um, authoritative um, person that others would take seriously. When I, you know, struggle to take myself seriously most of the time. Well, I had a but similar was, kind of wrestle, right? Which is that I wasn't impish and because uh, I was far too good for that, Shane. But I yes. was, um, you know, interested in seeing different people's, you know, I've always, by nature, I'm kind of bridge building and, and kind of yeah. peacemaker. But I also was trying to sort of be this guy who was going to make it yeah. by, and so sort of having yeah. to sort of put on this this cloak of authority. 
Yeah. And look, I think especially for us, for those of us who kind of grew up in the Ned Flanders era of like, you know, Mm. Christians being wimpy and pushovers and nice and all of those things and, you know, uh, got a lot of wedgies at school for such things. The idea of like someone powerful and impressive and strong and and you've talked about this before, but there's a a, a general attitude with a lot of these speakers of kind of like, the people in your churches are idiots. (laughs) And they, you just want to smack them across the face. Face, don't you? You know, with all of their questions rather than getting on with doing God's work. And that at the time just seemed really compelling um, that someone would carry that much confidence. Um, mm. And I think in some ways empowered so much of like, yeah, that empowered people to, to commit abuse of, and coercion of various forms because it seemed like, well, if if that's going to get stuff done, then that's what we need. We need to stop, you know, we, it's kind of a Pascal's wager-esque thing of like, we need, you know, if we're talking about heaven and hell and we need to take it seriously and we need to stop mucking around and just playing church and the only way we're going to do that is by strong people standing up and saying things straight. And um, mm. yeah, and that seemed really compelling means to an end at, at, at the time. Yeah, and perhaps, you know, for for young men like us, yeah, this kind of image of what, was possible, mm. the kind of authority or charisma or presence we might be able to have one day if we worked at it. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, both probably coming from uh, teenage years that had their own um, complications in mm-hmm. terms of our experience of belonging I or mean, popularity. Just when you've got so many ladies lining up for you, it gets, so many. <laughs> gets, hard to, gets really hard to manage, you know. <laughs> Definitely my experience. <laughs> Um, I know we're being I know we're being sarcastic about yours, but (laughs) uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to reflect on that. I mean that, and you've seen the same kind of thing happen in like political space over the last few Mm. years, right? It's that same kind of look. Here's someone who's saying what we're all thinking, or telling it like it is, or just even if they're not telling it like it is at all. Yeah, yeah. That it's almost just a tone thing. It's not actually about whether they're telling the truth or not, it's just that yeah. they sound confident, brash, strong, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And allowed to be rude to people you disagree yeah. with. Which yeah, yeah, secret, yeah. Secretly, we would all like to, to yeah. be able to get away with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so, that, so that's what we've got. We've got, we've, got the, we've got the old mate talking about this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the, the points that you had written down because I think um, – Oh, Yes. That's obviously what like yep. stood out to you, and some of them certainly uh, sound very familiar to my memory of rec- and recollection of watching this talk numerous times. Yeah, back in the day. Um, so we're going to work through some of these, and we can just chat about them. Yeah, and just look at the ways in which they, yeah, work at conditioning people uh, within. Yeah. So, so as like a fr- as a framework, as we kind of work through these. You know, for you, dear listener, <laughs> sit and think about that question of like, why? Do, why do people just do what they told? Or they're told. Why does mm. no one ask any questions? Why don't people mm. leave? Why? Do, why does it take people so long to believe that this place might not be that healthy, or that the way you're being treated is not be, is is not okay? Um, this this might help explain the cumulative effect of this. Might mm. help explain that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and this is just kind of an example of the kinds of talks that you might be familiar with, even if you haven't yep. uh, heard Rick Godwin. 
over um, and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, like, that's this is right. drummed in year mm-hmm. after year after year, and you know, and as you know, there might only be five sermons, and this is one of them, and it's you mm-hmm. know, it's it's reshaped and reworked, but the same content comes through, particularly in leaders' meetings. You know, for those of you who just went to Sunday church, might not realize there might be two or three leaders' meetings a week at church where this kind of stuff and rhetoric is is echoed. Yeah, absolutely, and that's part of why leaders, you know, things like those meetings are seen as like you must get all your leaders there because mm-hmm. if you don't, then you start to lose the impact of this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Got to keep topping up the Kool-Aid, otherwise it yeah, wears yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly yeah. right. Don't leave people to their own thoughts for too long. No. So, um, so the first point was was this idea of um, that that's in the notes there is about God being a builder, mm-hmm. and He wants people to help. Uh, now we're going to use some um, masculine language like. Language all, for God. All masculine Some language. Very patriarchal language through women this. Women don't get a mention in this entire thing because yes. they're an afterthought to Rick Godwin. So we're going to sort of reflect on that language as, as we go along, but bear that in mm. mind. Uh, so God's a builder. God's obviously a he, and he wants people to help him build what he's doing, which obviously is the church, right? So I think my reflection on that as a, like a starting point is that, and this is very reflective of the broader schema for talking mm. about this kind of stuff, which is you start with getting people to, um, well, you, you, you connect to the, the thing that people do already care about. So they've got a faith, probably, you know, if they're in this kind of yep. context, they've got this faith. They're, if they're wanting to like go to a meet, meeting where people talk about this kind of thing, then they're probably really wanting to do something for God They've got some passion in their heart for maybe for caring for people or for ministering or for I don't know whatever it might look like, and so often the way these things work is that you start by talking about what that God is doing this thing, and that whatever I'm about to say is directly connected to the thing that God is doing, mm-hmm. and so. If you want to be involved, which you probably do because you're here in what God is doing, then you're going to need to listen to what I have, what I'm about to say next. Does that kind yeah. of does that make sense to you? That's yeah, that's that's bang on. So like one of the underlying premises of this whole thing is all this phraseology around things that keep on coming back to equating. God's activity in the world with the local church. So the hope of the mm. world is the local church. Um, you know, anything God's doing in the world is through the local church and by the local church, not those guys down there um, or those folks over there. But this is, you know, they're all irrelevant and dead and should be shut down. And some of them are even Baptists. How embarrassing. Um, what God is doing is here. And so it concentrates all of God's activity in the world to be about building this particular local congregation and local mm. church and those like us. And so Rick jumps into some scripture at this point, which uh, does a brilliant job of co-opting. This is all just co-opting language. So he rips from um, Hebrews 3 and from Galatians 4. And both of these passages are dealing with, in the um, first century church, are dealing with the kind of like, how do Gentiles fit into this Jewish world and how do they become part of the family of God um, when the markers for being part of the family of God have always been according to the Jewish law, according to Torah, according to circumcision and ritual practices and stuff like this. And the authors of Hebrews and Galatians, both of them are making arguments from different ways of saying, of course, Gentiles can be adopted into God's family because 
Jesus is greater than Moses and God's building this house and Moses helped build the house, but Jesus made Moses. So Jesus surely gets to let people <laughs> in. Um, you Gentiles who have always been on the outside can be confident that you've been adopted into God's family. So you're part of the house now too. And so it's this kind of quite technical argument for people who have lived with a particular understanding of what God's favor is. Um, all of that is thrown out because you don't need context when quoting <laughs> quoting scripture. <laughs> and Rick just says, see, God talks about building his house. His house is the local church. In charge of the local church is me and your pastor. Um, and therefore, everything about all of these passages is God telling you that you should do a better job building and growing this congregation. That's what God's doing, and you can be a part of it. Yeah. Um, which, when you're dealing, when you know you're talking again, authoritatively, mm-hmm. charismatically, mm-hmm. and everybody who's in leadership that you know, or in, or pastors from around the place are all sitting there applauding and saying yes, and yep. you don't have you're not sitting there with your post grad theology degree. No, <laughs> um, no. You think like, that these people know something about the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do, and they certainly talk like they do. Like, mm. how could you possibly have that much confidence if you didn't know anything about the Bible? Exactly. To, to talk from it in those ways. So yeah, everything about you says I should, I should pay attention to this and he must be right. That must be yep. the case. Mm. Um, so yeah, that kind of equating of everything back to this church and mm. there is a leader in this church who is building this thing. And so if you want, if you if your faith means anything, if you really want to be a builder of God's yep. kingdom, then, yep. then you need to mm. build mm. underneath the leadership and guidance of your pastor um, yeah, in the thing that they are building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when we get to our first kind of point, which first frames this idea of sons and servants, because yes. very important and core to this whole idea is in grouping and out grouping. Mm-hmm. There are some people here in this room who will be the favored ones, who know what's really going on, who really want to please God, who are the kinds of people that we all want to be, and then there's these other bozos. <laughs> <laughs> and some of you might even be them, so don't be them. Yeah. Yep, very clear um, binary here, sons and servants. And yep. even, <laughs> weirdly, taking a term that is actually used quite positively in the mm. New Testament, which yes. is to be a servant. Servant, uh, yep. Jesus, Jesus himself talks about that. Um, <laughs> and all he, hadn't and, heard, and it, he hadn't heard Rick Godwin. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, servant becomes... Here, a derogatory term, mm. yeah, for people who um, have, a, you know, th- there's this kind of uh, distinction made where sons serve and servants serve. So they're both active doing things. Yeah, like all of you in this room will be one of these two because you're here and you're serving and you're contributing. But the different, there's going to be all of these differences in the way you're doing that. Yeah. Um, the, the attitude with which you do the thing that you're doing in this place, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, I thought what was interesting was that there's this comment um, in your notes about this kind of um, how do you know if you're a servant or a son? Mm. Uh, And aside from the views he then goes on to sort of make about that to make it very clear, 
Yeah. Um, there's this kind of phrase or this 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 phrase you mentioned in your notes about how the um the different the the discerning is in the testing, right? And so you only yep. really know if you're a son or a servant when the going gets tough, when things get difficult. Yep. That's yep. when you're really going to figure out if you're going to be a son mm-hmm. or a servant. And I mm-hmm. think what's so interesting about that is basically it means that when things get difficult and sometimes things are just difficult in interpersonal relationships mm. and community yep. and that, that's yep. one thing. But but the inference here is that if you end up running into significant problems within this community, mm. maybe um, maybe you're starting to burn out yep. or you're feeling the need to, to draw some boundaries in your life or you're noticing some ways of leading or behaving from those around you or above you that mm. is concerning to you, um, essentially – that's going to be the testing and now we're really yeah. going to find out are you a son or are you a servant? Yeah. And the the path you take from here is essentially based on what where we started going to t- determine whether you get to be a part of what God is doing or not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean we can all show up on a Sunday and serve, you know, when you're just doing one service and you're out in the car park, but what happens when things get really hard? What happens when you get asked to serve Beyond just one thing, what happens when we really need you? Um, his his point here is: son serve and servant serve. The difference is attitude, which is so vague and amorphous. It means practically nothing. But <laughs> one of one of the things that you're not taught about um, in any of this stuff is subtext. Yeah. Although you you very quickly learn how to read subtext, mm. um, but not actually name it. And the subtext mm. is. The attitude difference is some people will put up with way more shit and they are the real ones. Yes. Some people will never ask a question about what's asked of them. Some some people, you know, um, will be pushed way beyond their body's limits. Like this is these are the seeds. So when you read the kind of uh, stories from Arise and various places about internships and people are, you know, eating ramen noodles and working 100 hours a week and doing all this stuff and people are going, why do they? Why are they doing this? Because they are the people who are who have most internalized this script of going too much is never enough. Like this is the time where I get to show that I'm a son and not just a filthy servant. I'm not just here for the good times. I'm not just here, you know, for the happy clappy bits. I'm here when the rubber really meets the road and my body's breaking down and I still I still don't say no because I'm I'm one of the true insiders. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's so potent, eh? Um, mm. Because it's co- it's it's capturing people's genuine love for God, yeah, or whatever that looks like for them, and however they've defined that, um, mm. and love for their faith or the importance of their faith to them, mm. and turning it into a, a weapon, essentially that um, that means they constant people are constantly almost subconsciously. Uh, guiding their behavior and responses so that they will be seen as the son and not the servant or whatever mm. language mm. your community might have used to make it clear yeah. that there's the the right ones and the and the and the ones who don't quite have it and mm. no one wants to be if you're someone who's really wanting to do something meaningful to be the one yeah. who didn't have it no. and I think I've talked no. before about you know these this year of 6am weekly 
um, leadership meetings that a whole lot of young people in the church, we, we all committed to, you know, and, and at the start made very clear, many of you in this room won't make it to the end of the year. Many in this room will drop out as we go along. And so it's going to be very interesting to see who's still here at the end of the year. And so, you know, and about halfway through the year when everyone realized that all we were doing was getting up early to hear a rehash of what was going to be spoken about that night at the other meeting we were going to be at. Um, and everybody was sort of, well, not everybody, but many of us were, were, were hating it as yep. well as the time we had to get up in the morning. Everybody stuck it out because no, everyone yep. was trying to be in this language, make sure that it was known they were a son, not a servant, and they were going to yep. be the ones who, who stuck it yep. out, ignoring yep. all of the other signals their body or their or their brain, yep. or their mind, yep. their heart might be giving them. And, and, and kind of built into this is, this is this kind of, we'll get to it a little further down the track because other points will make it more explicit, but there's this carrot. There's this carrot being dangled in front of you of like one day you're going to get some kind of breakthrough when you're proven you're a son and you'll be rewarded for it and it'll all be worthwhile. Mm. So you will be platformed. You will be named from stage. You will be given a job like you will be. And, you know, I've talked to you of all the feedback we had come in. A lot of the most tragic ones are people who are sharing stories of saying, I held out for 50 15, 20 years serving, 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 being promised a job the entire time. Mm. And I worked crappy jobs to maintain my church volunteering because just around the corner, I'd actually be given a real job and that never came about. And now I'm 45 and my life, you know, I've got a broken body, a lot of trauma, not much, you know, nothing in the bank, no job opportunities. Um, mm. And I feel like an idiot because I'd hinged my entire life on waiting for that opportunity to come up. Yeah. And, you know, we could pull apart the notions of those opportunities themselves and whether they are the things we should be desiring, but that's almost like a secondary point to just yep. the, the dangling of the carrot. And, and yeah, uh, you know, some people, uh, this this came about in lots of different ways, like a prophetic word that you would get if you were in like a Pentecostal charismatic space, then this might take the shape in a prophetic word that sees you, one, you know, on a stage ministering to thousands or yep. uh, writing songs that will go across the world or yep. um, or whatever it might be that says, oh, there's something significant ahead for me if I just keep at it, if I just yep. keep telling God and my leaders that, I'm a son, not a servant, or I'm yep. the right kind of person for this, and I can stick it out. Yep. Um, one of the one of the phrases in your notes is this: uh, "Sons follow vision, but uh, sons follow vision and have a stake in the in the inheritance." Right? Mm. Um, whereas servants are sort of just um, do the job. I suppose. Yeah. They're right. just there, but they're not invested in the house in the same way because yeah. they're never going to reap rewards for it. But sons who follow the vision, they're you know, when the father dies, they'll inherit the house. Yeah. And so they build it as if their own inheritance is at stake in it. Um, what's hilarious and ironic in that whole thing is, <laughs> is that in some ways they're telling the truth because it is actually only the pastor's sons <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally. Bi biological sons who actually ever inherit anything because, you know, the, <laughs> the whole church prayed and discerned about it and it turns out that, oh, it just happens the best person for this job of taking over happens to be the son of the pastor. <laughs> like, like who, who would have imagined out of all the thousands of people here that the actual biological son of the pastor is the best person in temperament and wisdom and experience and all of those things to carry on running this community. And everyone who thought they were a son finds out they were actually maybe. <laughs> and there was, a, there was another kind of category they couldn't quite fulfill. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, it's it's this 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 idea of inheritance of inheritance um, again takes shape in a number of different ways, and we've mentioned bits and pieces of this along the mm. way if you've been tracking over the last year. But you know, there's there's all sorts of different phrases. Uh, be faithful with another man's vision, and one day God will give you yep. your own. Or yep. if you serve in the little things, God can trust you with the, the greater things. Or again, mm. uh, verses and stories and texts taken out of context, out of their place, and yep. used to tell you that one day you'll get to do what's in your heart. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not today. But one day, yeah. If you don't quit, yeah. Before your breakthrough, before your promotion, whatever yep. it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the next, the next one, like, really interests me because, again, it's so amorphous that it means practically nothing, <laughs> but is so potent for those who are inside it. Which is, sons build the house, servants serve the house. <laughs> That's Again, when you say it out, <laughs> when you say it out loud, it means nothing at all. But for insiders, everyone knows exactly what it means. Mm, mm. In that, it means that you are the one who always says yes and is always willing to do more. Um, and what's concerning here, I guess, is that, and probably needs to be named, is that is just the cumulative effect of this. Mm. The idea that, like. <sighs> Lots of these ideas aren't that like quite innocuous at a kind of ground level, simple level, invitational level before the creep sets in to a church community, which is something we talked about last year about the kind of like slow escalation of the stakes, mm. the slow escalation of the absurdity of things, and slow escalation of pressure. If you're just talking about, you know, you're leading a team that prepares the tea and coffee before church, you know, and... And some people don't even bother showing up for their roster, which is very frustrating. Um, and you just really wish that, you know, people, you know, would not just make the tea, but they would put the cups out in a nice way so that people can get them and they don't fall on them as well. Like, there's a really innocuous version of all of this stuff, which is just going like, you know, if you're going to serve in a community, you want to serve the community well, you want to do a good job, don't half-ass it, you know. It's a gift of generosity and love to do things with passion and care. Um, you know, that's that's all, you know, on the ground level, that's like lots of the kind of stuff that our parents try and, principles our parents try and raise mm. us with and in terms of doing jobs well and, you know, being a team player and all of that kind of stuff. But it's the cumulative effect of 20 years of hearing this stuff over and over again. And look, I, you know, like I've talked about this before on the pod, but I like I am a person who would have taught versions of this stuff to my teams. I'm a person mm. who is absolutely culpable in trying to extract more energy from people than I now feel was appropriate, which is absolutely mm. not okay. So like I like I took this message to heart and ran it through the teams that I was a part of. I was a part of this stuff. Um and and was also under it. But the 
the the cumulative effect of this stuff over and over and over again, particularly when the stakes get higher, particularly when you want to push for more growth, particularly when you start getting a taste of success and you want to go to the next level, you want to run a third service and a fourth service or run a bigger event and look after more people with fewer resources and all these things. It's the cumulative effect of hearing the stuff over and over and over again and slowly having a disintegration of your own boundaries, of being able mm. to hear your own body, of cutting other elements of your your life and community off, of narrowing everything down so the only thing that matters, matters is your role on these teams and building this church in numerical ways. The cumulative effect of this stuff becomes absolutely soul-destroying and diminishes your capacity to even know what healthy boundaries might look like. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as we talk about this, I'm reflecting on some of the stories I've heard, both um, in some of the reporting, but also just through people that I know or through the very many messages that come our way, my way, um, of the kind of anxiety that people still find themselves left with in doing... Um, quite ordinary everyday things in their life mm, mm. because they used to do them in service of some leaders. And the cumulative effect of what you're talking about means that when I'm, I don't know, preparing tea and coffee for the senior pastors or I'm helping out serve at a thing that they're running or managing or whoever my upline might be or whatever the system is that you're in. And whether that's small or large, whether that's just my pastor in my church or it's a really mm. big system, mm. um, that I'm wanting, I'm, I'm, I know that I need to do this like someone who really gets it. And so mm. I better do it well. And if I make any mistakes because I want to be someone who really builds the house and not just someone doing a job. I'm not just here to make supper for the pastor after the meeting. I'm here to build the house and show that I get it and show that I care. Yep. And then that look of disapproval or that send yep. the coffee back and make it again or <laughs> that... Um, I said hot, but not too hot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or don't pick me up in this car or... Yep. Whatever the whatever the messages that says you didn't get that right, mm. you were just you just did your job, but you didn't think about honor. You didn't think about the house. You were just mm. you were just filling your spot on the roster. Even if filling your spot on the roster was costing you an extraordinary amount, in, <laughs> yeah. you know, perhaps in that yeah. community or not, mm. whatever. Mm. Um, just just yeah, the cumulative effect of that over time, especially mm. with people that you are so desiring to impress or be in the good graces of. Um, can lead to just long-lasting effects on mm. on people. Yeah, like you say, on, on people's sense of boundaries and people's yep. sense of self, of yep. how they do what they do and and, and how it matters and, and so on. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The next, yeah, it's gonna, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid saying stuff that will come out more clearly in the in the in the, in the points coming up because um, they're really clearly illustrated. But the next one is um, sons hold the father's heart and his plans as his own or as their own. So, mm. yeah, like you've got a good note here. <sighs> yeah. Um, this, <laughs> I saw this a lot, uh, which is that sons, yes. So so servants are trying to make a name for themselves in some kind of way. 
or um, have things like their own desires and passions and gifts <laughs> that they yep. want to outwork in their life. Whereas sons uh, hold the father's heart. They really get what, and the father in this context is the pastor, the senior leader, yep. right? Yeah. Very clearly, very clearly. Uh, that's who it, that's not even, that's not a, even an so assumption. not talking about the Father God anymore. No, 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 no. That's, been, talking about that's, been sw- that's been switched out. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so subtly as you work through this message, mm. the Father, Father God that was referenced, you know, and I don't love that language, but Father God that was referenced at the start has slowly been just, just like switched for the senior pastor. Yes. And it's very clearly yeah. the case. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and so when when you hold the father's heart and and his plans as your own mm. then then essentially what you've got there is like a dissolving of any kind of personal desire any of your personal life goals any kind of personal distinction as a human being yep. gets disintegrated and kind of dissolved into that of the lead the, the senior pastor mm. uh, and so um your plans are just his plans um, worked out in whatever way you faithfully can. Your goals are simply to fulfill whatever the goals of the senior pastor are. Mm. Your mm. personal mission in your life is simply the mission of the church that, is, that God has put in the heart of the, of the senior pastor. And so yeah. this, again, it's like taking what the previous point was, which is that kind of cumulative effect of, of taking away boundaries and so on. And now we're not mm. just taking away boundaries of, of time, and of energy, but we're actually taking away boundaries of the self, you know, of who, of identity, of, of mm. who we are. Mm. Uh, mm. So that now, if we have any sort of desire to accomplish anything, do anything that's not clearly reflective of the senior pastor's heart, yep. um, then, yep. then that's evidence that you're a, you're you're more like a servant than a son, and mm. who wants to be that? Mm. Yep. Mm. Yep. And, and it's the gift. It's the gift of the inner critic, <laughs> mm. um, which starts the process of self censorship. So this is the beginning of putting someone else's script inside you and saying you should know mm. what I want. Mm. If you really were a son, you would know what I want you to do here. You would know how to dress. You would know how to behave. You would know how to perform. You would know how to make me look good, how to mimic me, how to um, bring my name glory rather than your own, um, which shows that you're not selfish. And so inserted at this point is this inner critic, this constant voice where they, you don't need someone telling you all the time how to self-censor and how to be. You carry inside you this constant script and narrative where you're checking yourself against what would I mean? In your case, you used to have WWPD. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, what would you got taught? What would Paul do? Yeah, and not Paul from the Bible. Not Paul from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, and that was explicit. Yeah, that to serve God is to serve your pastor, and therefore internalize them as a person, as the plumb line of your life. Mm. And so you were not allowed your own thoughts anymore. And again, this stuff at a baseline level, there's, there's, there's versions of the stuff which in some ways have, like, have 
within kind of healthy counterbalance can be really liberating and good in terms of going like, you know, in a community, we're not a community of our own personal ambitions where we're all just trying to become something incredible. Instead, Mm. we're actually looking how to care for and care for each other and not trample over each other and all of those kinds of things, which are actually the core of a really healthy community and balance with actually knowing who we are and what we want and how to counterbalance that. It's not the the um, dissolution of the self. Yeah. It's actually learning how to mediate a bunch of selves together into a coherent and kind and generous community where we name and see each other. But what this effectively does and says, this, the self of the community, the only one person who's allowed to be a self in this entire community because they are God-ordained is the senior pastor and everybody else, and you know, they they kind of claim to be like well, you know I do, I don't want this this is just yeah, what the yeah. Bible this is just what the Bible says yeah. <laughs> see the father um, that's me I can't help that I'm the house builder <laughs> um, the only person who's allowed an identity in these spaces is that one person um, and that's where it becomes completely coercive um, completely gaslighty it, I had a really interesting conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago who's training in psychology and stuff and asking about, you know, over here, religious trauma um, therapists uh, just have all their books full and there's going to be more and more need for this as more and more of these stories come out. And so I was kind of asking of going like, how do we train therapists for this stuff? How do we, where do we send people, all that kind of thing? And they said, oh, the best connection I could find is, in, is, is to find family violence, domestic violence trained therapists. Um because they of all people best know what it is like um, to work with people who have been gaslit, who have had their own sense mm. of self, who have been given alternate scripts to mm. believe, um, who live in an insular bubble because it's dangerous to leave that space mm. and place because of retribution, because of a, th- a fear of the outside world. All of these parallels that their 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 take on this, which I which really struck a chord with me, um, and you know. I'm not. A, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a professional in this area. I'm not a psych. Um, but my. But watching these patterns, that made so much sense to me to go. Ah, yeah. yeah. Family violence specialists would absolutely understand um, what what the space is like because they know what coercive relationships look like. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, that's awful. Pretty, that's pretty sobering, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, a kind of a. <laughs> yeah, the um, the way in which that kind of flows into the ongoing dissolution of the self, which yeah is something we see in like abusive relationships of all kinds, and mm. yet yeah, like family violence is very much um, yeah that re-narrating of your experience to make you the problem. Yeah, um, and all of that. And, you know, one of the one of the other things even in your notes here was was this this idea that sons say sons say we, but servants say me. And again, it's yeah. like this distortion of an idea that can be really beautiful, which mm. is that in our kind of individualistic, you know, neo-capitalist Western world, which many of us, most of us live and operate in to some degree, um, we are in need of community and we yeah. are in need of, like you said, moving, earlier, not, moving beyond autonomous individualism. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which has got its own costs. Yeah. Yes. And finding space where it's about we, not just me. Mm. Um, mm. But, but the way that gets used in this kind of context of some, something like this talk is not mm. into this beautiful image of a community where we become 
known where we serve one another. In fact, mm. serving one another is, is talked about quite, uh, you know, ser- serving mm. is, like, is, is the, um, the offensive thing to be doing here. Uh, yeah. Instead, um, it's that um, my sense of self needs, mm. to, needs to be mm. lost mm. as I serve the, the greater yeah. vision. I mean, the thing. irony of that statement of sons say we, servants say me, if you were to... If you were to switch it out for, if you were to put, if you were to say the quiet part out loud, <laughs> it would be, sons say, insert senior pastor's name, servants say, we. <laughs> yeah. Like, sons say, whatever the senior pastor has mandated as the culture and mm. wants done. Mm. Servants say, what, a, what about us? <laughs> what about what we, what we all want? Um, what yeah. we all need, what we think is safe, about our wisdom, about our boundaries, about our bodies, about and it might be me, um, but it's lots of me's. And and actually looking at the lots of me's and working how to mediate healthy community amongst each other's needs, that is the task of the church. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I this we don't have time on this bottom. Maybe it'd be a good <laughs> pod to explore at some point, but to go one Christianity has a problem <laughs> in that. Um, its its language have has been subverted, and so the language of um, servanthood and sacrifice and all of these motifs, which are built to work against coercive and abusive power, mm. have been inverted so they become weapons of coercive power. Yeah. And maybe maybe we could do a pod at some stage about exploring the theological underpinnings of that stuff to kind of reveal first intentions um, of what at least you and I would say is actually central to the message of the New Testament in particular and the old in the Hebrew Bible as well of subverting coercive power structures um yeah, because yeah, and the, the, and the, the, very gun is, po- the gun's pointed in the wrong direction here. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the Abs- problem. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the challenges here is that, that the reason, again, it resonates. We talked, we did an episode last year called Double Speak, um, mm. you know, where it mm. takes, yeah, those phrases that are used um, and almost uses them in their exact opposite intentions. Mm. And, yeah, I think what, what's interesting and, and needs more reflection is that we may actually need a whole new set of language to be able to talk about faith and community yep. and God yep. because yep. this yep. language has been so misused. Co-op- co-opted. Yep. That, that it's almost impossible to redeem the language itself. Yeah, I think what you can oh, for do- many, For many yeah. people it is. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what you can do, I think, is say what we, what we think the original intention was and mm. then go, how, what's some new language perhaps to mm. help us Bring that into our vocabulary and our spirituality and the shape of our faith mm. communities, and that's yeah, so that that's, we can wait for twenty years before that gets co-opted by empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great old dear. Yeah, <laughs> and you and um, I suddenly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When in the shift gets super powerful. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. The um, one of the things again, and as the talk as the talk goes through, you just like see it get more and more. Explicit. Coercive and manipulative and explicit, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it starts in this very, let's get, we'll get on board with, of course, we want to do what God wants. And now we're sort of getting to the dissolving of self. And then we take this a step further and we use this uh, story that I've heard used a lot within these spaces, which mm. is this this kind of the Noah example, right? Of um, You post- can tell the story. Oh, great. 
Um, I <laughs> I don't even want to get into kind of what the story is is doing or how it was understood or why it was told in the way it was. But basically, post-flood, which itself is a troubling story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or floaters, as it can be called. Yeah. Uh, Noah, who is the super righteous guy, the only righteous man in the world, um, celebrates coming off the uh, ark um, with all of the animals uh, by getting totally boozed <laughs> and passing out. <laughs> Uh, it's been a while since I've read the story, so correct me if yeah. I'm wrong. Uh, and but but is is naked, and then his as you son, are, <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. Well, after you know, when it's after been a, a big, good night, a I guess night. that's how yep. it goes. Yep. Uh, and so one of his sons comes in and sees him naked, and then goes out and tells the others, and then they the others come in and cover his nakedness, and this has become. But the one, sim- the one, the one that goes out, like some of them laugh. They laugh. They laugh at his at his peepee. <laughs> and and the one who expo- the him. one who did not cover the nakedness but went out and um told the others getting cursed gets cursed by Noah and the yep. ones who covered his nakedness get blessed yeah and look there's a lot going on in that story that would require a whole lot <laughs> to even uh process nevertheless gets used um by Leaders within these spaces, and it was used here, right? Which is yeah. Well, look, here's, here's here's Rick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, Rick. Sons are protective. They cover their leaders' nakedness, where the servants trade stories. Yeah. Now, this podcast is going to be long enough already, but I I have multiple stories of hearing this. The first, the only time I've ever actually like audibly booed someone. <laughs> <laughs> In a session, whereas I was nearing the end, I was about, I was just about out um, of this whole thing. But I had to go to like one last AOG conference. I was there because <laughs> I was, I was there on staff. Day. You were there also, yeah, yeah. And I was in a session where someone said, "Even if you catch your pastor sinning, you don't tell anyone. You just pray for them." That's God's business to deal with. And if you're wondering why we have church cover-up and abuse scandals left, yeah. right, and center, yeah, it's yeah, because yeah. of absolutely demonic shit like this where it is wrong on every level. But the fact that an entire room of, in this case, there might have been like two or 300 people sitting there taking notes, nodding along to someone saying, absolutely, if you catch your pastor doing something they shouldn't be doing, don't tell anyone, otherwise you'll be the cursed one. We'll just let God, you cover their nakedness. Cover it up. <laughs> cover it all up. Um, and and let God deal with it. Uh, yeah, that I, I, I booed. <laughs> but... <laughs> boo. It wasn't that loud. I mean, now I would just stand up and say... That's dangerous. This is bullshit. Um, which is why I'm not in those spaces very often. I think, as, like, a fu- as a fun aside, I wasn't in that session at that conference. I was in a, a different room where yes. the speaker was telling pastors how they needed to work really hard to um, become really good friends with all the rich people in their church and give them the best seats at church so that those rich people would give lots of money. <laughs> anyway, so I was in that uh, session while you were in the excellent. other one. So we had great stories to share. We like did, the dirty indeed. old servants think, we are. <laughs> Tittering and trading stories, exactly, yeah. So, so there's a, so much stuff in here. There's there's one, like, yeah. there's suppression of information. There's mm-hmm. there's the, the seed ground of abuse and cover-ups. There's 
this points out something that, like, again, is a subtext throughout this entire thing, which is essentially saying you have all of these responsibilities, you have all these principles to live by, you have all of these, all the stuff that you must make sure you're doing. Do not expect for a second that I have, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me up here. I don't live by any of these standards. That's for me and God to sort out because me and the Father are tight. Um, So throughout this entire thing, one of the things you'll never see in this entire script is mutual accountability. Yeah. You'll never see... You'll never see any sense of, and sometimes it's vaguely alluded to, like, oh, and I have people who can tell me, you Mm -hmm. know, spoiler alert, they don't. They don't have those people and those people are exactly like them and won't tell them anything because they're doing the same stuff. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. um, It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. even even I'm the, beginning to feel like we're on some kind of like nighttime talkback because I'm getting very <laughs> getting very angry. <laughs> I don't like it about myself. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I'll take a deep breath, Shane. Um, I'll, and I think I'll what's myself. <laughs> no, it's I, it's worth getting angry over. I think so too. Stuff. And and yep. it's because it has been, and we're seeing this play out in lots of stories still, right at the moment. Yeah. Yep. which is that by creating environments where leaders cannot be questioned, yep. uh, where their actions cannot be um, scrutinized in any way, shape or form by anybody. Yep. Um, yep. And again, they will have stories about why they are accountable. But as you yep. say, then their boards are yep. run by them, whether yep. they hold that title or not. And their yep. oversight are people like them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) will be doing all the same things. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, with this environment of people who are unquestionable. Yeah. And I mean, that's just... I mean, I'd argue they're highly questionable. Well, they're highly questionable, but they're... (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But they must not be questioned. If you were to sit down and design a system that would would lead to manipulation, coercion, uh, abuse of power... It would be this. It would be mm. this, right? Yeah. And, and that's yeah. kind of what we're trying to get at in this whole yeah. thing of going, if you're an outsider looking from the outside, you're like, why Why did Why did no one ask something? Why did no one say something? Why did no one even think that anything was wrong with this stuff? This is crazy. And to go, yeah, yeah, it is. But you can only know that from the outside. If you are still there, it's because oh, a, a thousand times you have suppressed that little voice that said that mm. something is wrong. You mm. know what you're allowed to ask and what you're not. You know what keeps you in and what will get you cast out. You know all of this stuff. And these stories will come out over and over. The more they get talked about, the more stories will emerge where people will say, I can't believe I was a part of this. I can't believe I did this stuff. I can't believe I gave so many of my years of my life to. And it's not because they're stupid. It's not because... They're weak-willed. It's not, but you've got very intelligent, very strong, very, um, you know, like you've got brilliant people who have been cultivated and and look to be honest, groomed. Yeah, is an interesting word to use here. And that, you know, one one of, one of Rick's points down here is um, sons have puppy feet, but servants come fully grown. 
you know, and your little note here is that it's the diminishing of anyone who has their own point of view, wisdom, mind, thoughts, etc. Um, yeah. And my thought with that is that that actually struck a chord with me of of how many of us who stayed involved with this for a long period of time came into it in youth group. Mm. So there's this infantilizing of everybody um, that adults are still treated and still allow themselves to be treated like 13-year-olds. Yeah. Because they're used to being told what to do. They're used to being told what's right and wrong. They're used to not questioning. They're used to listening to the other adults in the room. Um, but they don't cultivate their own voice. Yeah. So they could be in your 30s and you still haven't, you don't know how to disagree well. You don't know how to ask questions. You don't know how to stand up for yourself. And particularly as soon as you walk into this environment, you might at work, but as soon as you go here, you're in a different sphere. And it's like, and I don't like using psych terms for general descriptions, but the best I could think of is this form of arrested development where you've got people who on the outside are much, much older than they are on the inside. That at mm. some point you learn to let these boundaries down and they've just stayed down. You know, like, you know, one of the meme pages, you know, around sexual purity, you know, someone wrote in the comment of saying, you know, like we got told to get to expect after our wedding night that our leaders will ask us if we had penetrative sex on our honeymoon. Because, you know, like we've done all the sex talks with you and, you know, you should be accountable and you should expect that level of access to your life. And when you're in that environment, that completely creepy and weird thing might seem completely appropriate because you no longer you no longer have the internal voice that is able to say you don't belong in this space this is my space mm. i don't want to give you access to that part of my life and one of the questions i think we've got as communities as and a massive challenge to the church is going how do we form communities of whole adult humans mm. um and because that's much, much trickier. Because when you have to deal with people's voices, you have to deal with the fact that often we don't know how to do conflict well. Often there's a whole heap of jerks in your church. Often there's people with, you know, all of us have got complex trauma. There's all this family of origin stuff. It's way harder to learn how to be a community of wholeness and kindness together when everyone has a voice because you've got to do a whole heap more work. What's much easier is when only one person has a voice or, if, or there's only one voice and language to speak with um, and you don't have to bother with developing and discipling whole humans and creating communities that actually learn how to function well together because it just becomes um, th this kind of like groupthink. Yeah. Yeah, so this whole kind of—I mean, it's very super weird phrasing to me. The sons have puppy feet. Servants, servants come fully grown. Idea. It's mm. just kind of slightly, slightly odd. But um, but yeah, that that idea that mature people <laughs> essentially mm. are trouble. Yeah, because mature people will have their own point of view. Yeah. Mature people might already know things that we haven't mm. told them, mm. and so um, we want to keep people in a place of relying and depending upon us mm. or me for everything that they're going to believe or think or work out in this kind of sphere. It's, this is, I mean, this is one of the reasons why so many of these churches start their own independent, like, leadership colleges. Yeah. So that, because the, the worry of sending someone off to be taught by others at a 
college somewhere else, you know. <laughs> they come back theology. with their own, all these crazy come ideas. With all, come back with all these ideas. Um, yeah. Whereas we want to keep them in-house so that they learn the language and the DNA of the house. And yeah. so they essentially stay within our purview of, of control yeah. and and authority. And, and and what you're doing, like you use the term arrested development, you know, there's all that um, kind of psychosocial development stuff around individuation and what it is to move from yeah. externalized authority to internalized authority mm. and learning to mm. find your own voice and find your yeah. own place. And that's not the end goal either, just to have mm. my own, you know, the, the, there are more steps in that or more yeah. layers to that development of a, of a person, of a mature person. Yeah. But, but essentially any kind of individuation, any kind of asserting of boundary yourself is yeah. seen as an enemy of, you know, you are, well, you're not being a son, are you? So you're not going to get yeah. to share in the inheritance. Yeah. You're not really going to participate with God in the way that God wants. So God's disappointed in you. Your leaders mm. are disappointed in you. Everybody's <laughs> disappointed you. In you are a disappointment. You're a yeah. disappointment and you're probably disappointed with yourself too. And <laughs> you so, should be. Um, yeah. you should if you're be. not, you should have yeah. got a problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing about this whole thing is, is, is in so like, again, so many ways they're right because, when everyone has a voice and like it is more complicated some people are jerks some people mm. are terrible with conflict some people are a pain in the ass um but there's two way there's multiple ways of dealing with that there is helping within community and without coercion to help form whole humans who learn how to get along with each other and how to mediate that stuff or just set up a t- totalitarian dictatorship yeah. so you never have to deal with any of those problems and only one person who's got their own personality disorder can lead the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're right. They dodge a bullet there. Yeah, they do. Yeah, absolutely. They catch a they catch a bigger one. Oh, and as someone who's involved in, um, you know, still in, in church and stuff like that, you can, mm. I mean, churches, church, any kind of community. Is a, is a complicated yeah. thing to navigate yeah. if you're going to do it without manipulating people. And oh, listen to people's work stuff. stories. This is yeah, nothing yeah. new. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we probably we will probably should finish eventually. Yeah. Um, lest we lest we get so wound up that we uh, <laughs> have, have some a kind coron- of internal have rupture. A, have a yep. coronary. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting to me, even around that whole kind of the the puppy feet thing and the the nakedness. Don't cover yep. the nakedness thing. Are all kind of connected as well to this other point that I just wanted to touch on, mm. which is that sons are secure and accept correction, but servants can't take discipline. Yeah. Um, because what we find here is again just a, an asserting of the one-way street here. Yeah. Which is that yep. senior pastors slash fathers yep. um, can't be questioned. Yeah. Should have all of their difficulties, troubles, sins, whatever. They are covered over by others and never talked about, and never spoken of, and never shared. Yeah. But um, correction should be able to come down the chain, and you should just be able to take it yep. because you're secure. And if you can't take it, you're insecure, and you're not a son. It says something so, about you, then, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 yeah and look, right. there's no within this. There's no context. There's no guidelines for how authority is used within a community. There's no guidelines for navigating conflict. There's no boundaries around use of co- of of correction. There's no um, channels for reporting abuse. It's all a one way street from top down. Yeah. Um. The the last one I want to close out with because it's the creepiest. Um. <laughs> but again, you can see where we started with, which is, um, you know, 
innocuous things like sons follow vision and sons serve and servants serve the difference is attitude. By the time you get to the end of this, you're accepting statements like this last one. Sons share their inner conversations. Servants tell you only what they want you to hear. Mm. And what that's saying is there's no permissible private sphere. Mm. That the people in authority above you have a right to access to every area of your life where they can use those secrets and do use those secrets as leverage against you, Mm. where you have to self-censor all the time because if you have a thought, then you might have to share that thought with your leader and they have a right to that thought. And so, again, it's an even deeper internalizing of the inner critic because it says even your thoughts aren't safe because if you're under authority, if you're a real son, your own thoughts should be shared. Mm. And so even inside your own head, you are not safe. That's <laughs> really mean, bad. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, uh, um, we have flirted with the word cult a number of times over the last 12 months. Mm. And I think usually landed on kind of cult-like, yep. largely because these places aren't communes. Yeah. Um, with complete separation from the world around them. Yeah. But I mean, this is... This is bad. Yeah. And this is, this is, again, my issue with the way this has been reported so far, and this is nothing against the people who have done excellent reporting, is that you can kind of only focus on one place at a time. Mm. But if we have had this stuff... Um, shared with us from tens, twenties, hundreds of different places, the same, the same stories, the yes. same patterns, the same things, all over the place, all of the time. This is not isol- an isolated incident. Yeah, and as I, as we sort of have this conversation, I'm aware that some people, and, and and perhaps especially insiders, would say that we are taking the sort of the most cynical, the most cynical possible view of this kind of talk, right? Yeah. Of um, that we are focusing on the worst aspect of every one of these points. Mm. But I guess um, you know my response to that would be the thousands of stories of yep. abuse and trauma mm. from people who've been in systems like this would say that. What we're describing here is, in fact, exactly what happens. Yeah. And I can yeah. certainly say that from my experience. Yeah. That the reason it took me so long to grapple with getting out is I had to pick, I had to try and undo all of this. Mm. And so you're dealing with feelings of guilt and betrayal and, um, and giving up on your own future mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the things that you thought were possible for you and yeah. all, of the, all of this. Um, and of how God might see you. Mm. Uh, and perhaps it's no surprise for me that it was my theological undoing and rethinking of what God was like mm. that was one of the core liberating things for me to be able to then undo the rest of this. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but not everyone has the luxury of the time and space to have, mm. to, to have the mm. kind of conversations that I was able to have or to find the kinds yeah. of people, you know, find each other as we did and uh, among a few others at that time mm. to be able to have people to say that's not right. Yeah. That's not yeah. okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, just a couple of really quick things. One, 
whenever you and I have conversations about stuff like this, like I think we've, you know, obviously we've always got a lot to say. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, administratively trying to tie other voices into this is, is complex. Um, but I just want to say that as tricky as this stuff has been for you and I, like there are a lot of other voices missing in this conversation, mm. which would add a lot more depth and nuance um, than, than we have been able to, because they have, you know, we still had the privilege and the right of way. And particularly me, like I, I was, you know, in, in many ways more involved in leadership than you. And so mm. like I have, yeah, sent a lot of emails and made a lot of apologies. And, you know, like I, again, I would, I would say I, I got out early enough that the worst manifestations of this, um, it didn't come out under my leadership, but there's definitely foreshadowing of this stuff. And there are definitely areas which I feel deeply uncomfortable and immensely remorseful for in, in just these kinds of patterns, which I mm. didn't have the maturity or the self-reflection or the education to be able to recognize and, 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 and fight against, um, but yeah, I, I just, just want to acknowledge for, for, for women and queer folk and for, you know, a bunch of other people uh, here, like, you know, part of me just wishes we could have like Meg Cohen and Nicole Connor and Jess and Carly on every episode. Um, because yeah, there's, there, this, this hits in a different way for yeah. people with even less power and privilege yeah. Yeah. than us. And, yeah. I, and in some ways I like the fact that you and I kind of, I feel like we, from a, the privilege that we have need to, explain our culpability and to name the stuff and to do that bit. Um, but I just, yeah, just want to acknowledge as well, we're not speaking for everyone. And then secondly, just want to acknowledge that for some people, this talk would have raised really difficult stuff um, and might've raised trauma and stuff for you. Um, and maybe we'll put a trigger warning at the start of this episode might be a good idea. And some people that you can get in touch with if you need to process stuff here. Cause yeah, I just realized that we started off with a uh, reasonably jokey. Wow. That was a wild story and landed in, um, is this a cult territory? Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. I just want to be sensitive to that. Yeah. That's very wise. Thank you. Um, I uh, concur. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I t totally agree. Uh, mm. And yeah, uh, you know, we, there's a lot going on here. And in a sense, that kind of weird transition from, isn't this kind of absurd to, yep. this is a cult that's caused a great degree of trauma, yep. is, is indicative of almost the, the experience within these spaces for many people, mm. which is like, Aren't I having a good time? And also, I've been abused yep. in some kind of way here. Yeah. Holding together, um, I can't believe we get to do this and I can't believe that happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a very difficult, um, a very difficult thing to, to, to make sense of, to come to terms with, mm. to find some way of making sense of that experience. Um, and so, yeah. Hopefully this is helpful in doing that. Hope, hopefully. Yeah. That's that's the idea. And I think, yeah, I think our hope here is to use this um, case study and indoctrination mm. to um, <laughs> to highlight the ways in which this stuff works in so many spaces all the time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and look, for some of you, we won't be from this world, but we'll be supporting people who are. Mm. Um, hopefully this helps give you some kind of understanding of why this stuff is complex and give you give 
might even give you a deal of patience with people as they process the way out of this because um yeah it runs deep yeah cool. okay thanks Shane thanks man so I think that's about all that needs to be said about all of that that was my convo with Shane exploring the dark places of his sermon notebook from the 1990s and thanks as always to Reese Michelle for doing the hard work of taking this audio and making it sound good for you so that it's listenable. Thanks for listening along, for sending your stories. You can get in touch, feedback at intheshift.com. You can support patreon.com slash intheshift. Until next time. <laughs>